Hello, we're going to go over endocrine system. So it consists of organs known as glands that secrete hormones. The hormones are signaling molecules that are secreted direct directly into the bloodstream to target tissues. And at target tissues, hormones bind to receptors, inducing a change in gene expression or cellular functioning. So hormones can be peptides, steroids, or amino acid derivatives. Peptide hormones are made up of amino acids ranging in size from quite small, so like ADH, to relatively large, like insulin. They're derived from larger precursor polypeptides that are cleaved during post-translational modification, and the smaller units are transported to the Golgi for further modifications that activate the hormones and direct them to the correct locations in the cells. Um, peptide hormones are charged. They can't pass through the plasma membrane. They must bind to an extracellular receptor, so they are considered the first messenger. They bind to the receptor and trigger the transmission of a second signal known as a second messenger. And the connection between the hormone at the surface and the effect brought about by second messengers within the cell is known as a signaling cascade. And at each step, there's the possibility of amplification. Uh, each step can result in an increase in signal intensity because each receptor may activate multiple enzymes, which will each trigger the production of large quantities of second messengers. So some common second messengers are cyclic adenosine monophosphate, or CAMP, inositol triphosphate, so IP3, and calcium. The activation of a G-coupled protein-coupled receptor is also possible, and the binding of a peptide hormone will trigger these receptors to either activate or inhibit an enzyme called endatinylate cyclase, raising or lowering the levels of CAMP, which can bind to intracellular targets, such as protein kinase A, which will phosphorylate transcription factors, um, and uh, allow the protein to exert the hormone's ultimate effect. So the effect of peptide hormones are usually rapid but short-lived because they act through second messenger cascades, which are transient. It's quicker to turn them on or off, um, and their effects don't last without relatively constant stimulation, and they're generally water-soluble so they can travel freely in the bloodstream and don't require carriers. So steroid hormones are derived from cholesterol, and they're produced primarily by the gonads and the adrenal cortex. They're derived from nonpolar molecules. They can easily cross the cell membrane. Their receptors are intracellular in the cytosol or intranuclear in the nucleus, and upon binding to the receptor, they will undergo... Uh, conformational changes, so the receptor can then bind directly to DNA, resulting in either increased or decreased transcription of particular genes depending on the identity of the hormone. So a common form of conformational change is dimerization, or pairing of two receptor hormone complexes, and the effects of steroid hormones are slower but longer-lived because they participate in gene regulation, causing alterations in the amount of mRNA and protein present in a cell by direct action on DNA. They're not water-soluble, so they have to be carried by proteins in the bloodstream, so some of them are very specific, like sex hormone-binding globulin, while others are non-specific, like albumin. Uh, hormones are generally inactive while they're attached to a carrier protein, and they have to dissociate to function. So um, levels of carrier proteins can change the levels of active hormone. And then finally, we have amino acid derivative hormones. They're less common than peptide and steroid, but they include some of the most important ones, so epinephrine, norepinephrine, triiodothyronine, and thyroxine. They're derived from one or two amino acids with a few additional modifications, um, and the chemistry is less predictable, and um, overt memorization might be the best strategy. So catecholamines, which are epinephrine and norepinephrine, will bind to G-protein-coupled receptors, while thyroid hormones will bind intracellularly. So some hormones are direct hormones. They're secreted, and then they act directly on the target tissue. And then other hormones are tropic, which require an intermediary to act. Um, Tropic hormones usually originate in the brain and the anterior pituitary gland, which allows them the coordination of multiple processes within the body. And then we're going to talk about endocrine organs and hormones. So the hypothalamus, pituitary, thyroid, parathyroid glands, adrenal glands, pancreas, gonads, and the pineal gland are all endocrine glands. And each of these organs is able of, 
capable of synthesizing and secreting one or more hormones. So, yeah. The collections of cells within organs, like the kidneys, gastrointestinal glands, heart, and thymus, serve important endocrine roles, but um, they're traditionally not called endocrine organs because hormone production is not their main function. So, hypothalamus is the bridge between the nervous and endocrine system. So, by regulating the pituitary gland through tropic hormones, the hypothalamus is capable of having organism-wide effects. It's located in the forebrain, directly above the pituitary gland and below the thalamus. Um, the hypothalamus and pituitary are close to each other, so the hypothalamus controls the pituitary through paracrine release of hormones into a portal system that directly connects the two organs. And the... The release of hormones by the hypothalamus is regulated by negative feedback, which occurs when a hormone or product later in the pathway will inhibit hormones or enzymes earlier in the pathway, and it maintains homeostasis and conserves energy by restricting production of substances that are already present in sufficient quantities. Uh, the hypothalamus and pituitary gland are inextricably linked, so the, the pituitary gland has an anterior and posterior component, each with a unique interaction with the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus will secrete compounds into the hypophyseal portal system. Um, which is a blood vessel system that directly connects the hypothalamus with the anterior pituitary, and thus hormones released from the hypothalamus travel directly to the anterior pituitary and cannot be found in appreciable concentrations in the systemic circulation. Hypothesis is an inter alternative term for the pituitary, and then once hormones have been released from the hypothalamus into this portal bloodstream, they will travel down the pituitary stalk and bind to receptors in the anterior pituitary, stimulating the release of other hormones. So... The following indicates each hormone released by hypothalamus and the hormones released by the anterior pituitary in response. So there's gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which leads to follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Growth hormone-releasing hormone leads to growth hormone being released. Thyroid-releasing hormone leads to thyroid-stimulating hormone. And corticotropin-releasing factor leads to adrenocorticotropic hormone. And then the exception is prolactin inhibiting factor, which is actually dopamine, and it's released by the hypothalamus, and it causes a decrease in prolactin uh, secretion. So each of the tropic hormones will then cause the release of another hormone from an endocrine gland that has negative feedback effects. Um, so like the release of CRF from the hypothalamus will stimulate the anterior pituitary to secrete ACTH, which will then cause the adrenal cortex to increase the level of cortisol being secreted, but Cortisol is detrimental when the levels become too high, so to pre prevent excess, the cortisol will inhibit the hypothalamus and anterior pituitary from releasing CRF and ACTH. And three organ systems like these are commonly referred to as axes, so like the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, and so on. And then we have the posterior pituitary, so it uh, does not receive tropic hormones through the hypophyseal portal system. The neurons in the hypothalamus will send their axons down the pituitary stalk directly into the posterior pituitary, which can then release oxytocin and antidiuretic hormone. Oxytocin will stimulate the uterine contractions during labor, and it will let milk down during lactation. It's also involved in bonding behavior. And then antidiuretic hormone, which is called vasopressin, will increase reabsorption of water and the collecting ducts of the kidneys. And ADH is secreted in response to increased plasma osmolarity or increased concentration of solutes within the blood. Um, and then the anterior pituitary synthesizes and secretes seven different products. Four of these are tropic hormones and the other three are direct. So the tropic hormones um, work by causing the release of another hormone at the organ level. So 
um, the release of both follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone is stimulated by the gonadotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. These two act on the gonads. The release of adrenocorticotropic hormone is stimulated by corticotropin-releasing factor from the hypothalamus. ACTH acts on the adrenal cortex. And then the release of thyroid-stimulating hormone is stimulated by thyroid-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. And TSH acts on the thyroid. So prolactin is more important in females than in males. It stimulates milk production in the mammary glands, and milk production in the male is always pathologic. So during pregnancy, estrogen and progesterone levels are high. In addition, prolactin is a hormone that increases milk production, and it's secreted by the anterior pituitary. It's unusual in that the release of dopamine from the hypothalamus decreases its secretion, and the high levels of estrogen and progesterone allow for the development of milk ducts in preparation for lactation, but until shortly after the expulsion of the placenta, when estrogen, progesterone, and dopamine levels drop, is when the block in milk production is removed and lactation actually begins. And milk ejection occurs when the newborn infant latches off to the breast, so nipple stimulation causes activation of the hypothalamus, resulting in two different reactions. So first, oxytocin is released from the posterior pituitary, resulting in contraction of the smooth muscle of the breast and ejection of the milk through the nipple. And second, the hypothalamus will stop releasing dopamine onto the anterior pituitary, which allows prolactin release, causing production of milk and regulation of the milk supply. Endorphins decrease the perception of pain. So they, may, they mask the pain from like having run a lot, and they can even induce a sense of euphoria. Uh, so morphine can mimic the effect of these um, naturally occurring painkillers. And then growth hormone is named for exactly what it does. It promotes the growth of bone and muscle, muscle and this sort of growth is energetically expensive and requires large quantities of glucose. It prevents glucose uptake in, in certain tissues and stimulates the breakdown of fatty acids, and it increases the ability of um, availability of glucose overall, allowing muscle and bone to use it. And its release is stimulated by growth hormone releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. So bone growth originates in special regions of the bone known as epiphyseal plates, which seal shut during puberty. An excess of growth hormone is released in childhood before this closure can cause gigantism and a deficit results in dwarfism. Uh, in adults, it's a little bit different. So because the long bones are sealed, the growth hormone has an effect, but it's primarily in the smaller bones. And the resulting medical condition is known as acromegaly. So the bones most commonly affected are those in the hands, feet, and head. And patients with acromegaly tend to seek medical help because they have had to buy larger shoes. They can't wear rings and they can't fit into their hats. Posterior pituitary contains the nerve terminals of neurons with cell bodies in the hypothalamus. Um, it receives and stores two hormones, so ADH and oxytocin. ADH is secreted in response to low blood volume, as sensed by baroreceptors, or increased blood osmolarity, as sensed by osmoreceptors. Um, it works at the collecting duct, where it increases the permeability of the duct to water, which induces the reabsorption of water from the filtrate in the nephron and results in greater retention of water, which results in increased blood volume and higher blood pressure. Oxytocin is secreted during childbirth and allows for coordinated contraction of uterine smooth muscle. It may also be stimulated by suckling as it produces, it promotes milk ejection through the contraction of smooth muscle in the breast, and it also might be involved in bonding behavior. It's unusual in that it has a positive feedback loop, so the release of oxytocin promotes uterine contraction, which promotes more oxytocin release, which promotes stronger uterine contractions, and so on. Um, and the thyroid is controlled by thyroid-stimulating hormone from the anterior pituitary. It's on the front surface of the trachea. It can be palpated as an organ near the base of the neck that moves up and down with swallowing, and it has two major functions. So it sets basal metabolic rate and promotes calcium homeostasis, and it mediates the first effect by releasing triiodothyronine and thyroxine, so T3 and T4, which carries out the second effect through the result of through the release of calcitonin. So T3 and T4 are both produced by the ion of the amino acid tyrosine in the follicular cells of the thyroid. The numbers 3 and 4 refer to the number of iodine atoms attached to the tyrosine. Thyroid hormones are capable of resetting the basal metabolic rate of the body by making energy production more or less efficient and altering the utilization of glucose and fatty acids. 
Increased amounts of T3 and T4 will lead to increased cellular respiration, which leads to increased protein and fatty acid turnover by speeding up both synthesis and degradation of these compounds. High plasma levels of thyroid hormones will lead to decreased TSH and TRH synthesis, and negative feedback prevents excessive secretion of the two. Uh, deficiency of iodine or inflammation of the thyroid may result in hypothyroidism, where thyroid hormones are secreted in insufficient amounts or not at all, and it's char characterized by lethargy, decreased body temperature, slowed respiratory and heart rate, cold intolerance, and weight gain. Um, they're required for appropriate neurological and physical development in children, so people are tested at birth for appropriate levels because a deficiency will result in intellectual disability and developmental delay or cretinism. And then excess of thyroid hormone, which may result from a tumor or thyroid overstimulation, is called hyperthyroidism, and the effects seen are heightened activity level, increased body temperature, increased respiratory and heart rate, heart and heat intolerance, and weight loss. And then for calcitonin, um, follicular cells produce thyroid hormones and C cells, which are called parafollicular cells, which produce calcitonin. It decreases the plasma calcium levels in three ways, by increasing calcium excretion from the kidneys, by decreasing calcium absorption from the gut, and by increasing storage of calcium in the bone. So high levels of calcium in the blood stimulate secretion of calcitonin from the C cells. Uh, the parathyroids are four small pea-sized structures that sit on the posterior surface of the thyroid. The hormone produced by the parathyroid glands is aptly named the parathyroid hormone, and it serves as an antagonistic hormone to calcitonin, so it raises blood calcium levels, and it decreases excretion of calcium by the kidney and increases absorption of calcium in the gut via vitamin D and increases bone resorption, thereby freeing up calcium. Uh, PTH is also subject to feedback inhibition, so as levels of plasma calcium rise, PTH secretion is decreased, and parathyroid hormone also promotes phosphorus homeostasis by increasing the resorption of phosphate from bone and reducing reabsorption of phosphate in the kidney, so it promotes its excretion in the urine. PTH also activates vitamin D, which is required for the absorption of calcium and phosphate in the gut, and the overall effect is a significant increase in blood calcium levels with little effect on phosphate. The absorption of phosphate in the gut and its excretion in the kidney somewhat cancel each other out. Uh, let's see, how much more do I have to go through? Okay, so the adrenal glands are located at the top of the kidneys. Adrenal translates to near or next to the kidney. Each adrenal gland has a cortex and a medulla, and the distinction is more than anatomical, so each part of the gland is responsible for the secretion of different hormones. The adrenal cortex secretes corticosteroids, and there are steroid these are steroid hormones that can be divided into three functional classes, so glucocorticoids and mineral mineralocorticoids and cortical sex hormones. Glucocorticoids are steroid hormones that regulate, gluco regulate glucose levels. These affect protein metabolism, and the two most likely to be untested on the MCAT are cortisol and cortisone. These raise blood glucose by increasing gluconeogenesis and decreasing protein synthesis. Cortisol and cortisone can decrease inflammation and immunologic responses. Cortisol is known as a stress hormone because it releases in times of physical or emotional stress and increases blood sugar and provides a ready source of fuel in case the body must react quickly to a dangerous stimulus. Um, it's under the control of adrenocorticotropic hormone um, and then corticotropin releasing factor from the hypothalamus promotes release of ACTH from the anterior, anterior pituitary which promotes release of glucocorticoids from the adrenal cortex. And then mineral corticoids are used in salt and water homeostasis, so their most profound effects on the kidneys. The most mo noteworthy one is aldosterone, which increases sodium resorption in the distal convoluted tubule and collecting duct of the nephron. Water follows sodium cations into the bloodstream, increasing blood volume and pressure. And since these flow together, plasma osmolarity remains unchanged, in contrast to ADH, which only increases water reabsorption and decreases plasma osmolarity. Aldosterone also decreases the reabsorption of potassium and hydrogen ions in these same segments of the nephron, promoting their excretion in the urine. 
And aldosterone is primarily under the control of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, so decreased blood pressure causes the juxtaglomerular cells glomerular cells of the kidney to secrete renin, which cleaves an inactive plasma protein, angiotensinogen, to its active form, angiotensin 1. Angiotensin 1 is then converted to angiotensin 2 by angiotensin-converting enzyme in the lungs, and it stimulates the adrenal cortex to secrete aldosterone, and once blood pressure is restored, there is a decreased drive to simulate renin release, thus serving as a negative feedback mechanism for this system. The adrenal glands also make cortical sex hormones, so androgens and estrogens, and because the testes already secrete large quantities of um, of androgens, adrenal testosterone plays a relatively small um, amounts of androgens. Females are more sensitive to disorders of cortical sex hormone production. And yeah, the adrenal medulla um, is inside the adrenal cortex. So this is responsible for the production of the sympathetic hormones epinephrine and norepinephrine, and the specialized nerve cells in the medulla are capable of secreting these compounds directly into the bloodstream. Both epinephrine and norepinephrine are amino acid derivative hormones that belong to a larger class of molecules known as catecholamines. So they have diverse system-wide effects, all centered on fight or flight. Epinephrine can increase the breakdown of glycogen to glucose in both liver and muscle, as well as increase the basal metabolic rate. Both will increase heart rate, dilate the bronchi, shunt blood flow to the systems that would be used in the sympathetic response. So there's vasodilation of blood vessels leading to increased blood flow to the skeletal muscle, heart, lungs, and brain. And vasoconstriction decreases blood flow to the hooked up kidneys and skin. Uh, the stress response involves both cortisol and epinephrine. So cortisol is understood to mediate long-term or slow stress responses, while catecholamines are understood to control short-term or fast stress responses. The pancreas has exocrine and endocrine functions. Um, exocrine tissues secrete substances directly into ducts, and the pancreas produces a number of digestive enzymes. From an endocrine standpoint, these small clusters of hormone-producing cells are grouped together in islets of Langerhans. Throughout the pancreas, islets contain three distinct types of cells, so alpha, beta, and delta cells. Each cell type secretes a different hormone, so alpha cells secrete glucagon, beta cells secrete insulin, and delta cells secrete somatostatin. Glucagon is secreted during times of fasting. When glucose levels are low, glucagon increases glucose production by triggering glycogenolysis, gluconeogenesis, and the degradation of protein and fat. In addition to low blood glucose concentrations, certain gastrointestinal hormones increase glucagon release from alpha cells, and when, when blood glucose concentrations are high, glucagon release is inhibited. And insulin is antagonistic to glucagon and is therefore secreted when blood glucose levels um, are high, and it induces muscle and liver cells to take up gluc glucose and store it as glycogen for later use, and because it's active when glucose levels are high, insulin stimulates anabolic processes such as fat and protein synthesis. In excess, insulin will cause hypoglycemia, which is characterized by low blood glucose concentration, underproduction, insufficient secretion, or insensitivity to insulin all can result in diabetes mellitus, which is clinically characterized by hypoglycemia or excess glucose in the blood. In the kidneys, excessive glucose in the filtrate will overwhelm the nephron's ability to reabsorb it, resulting in its presence in the urine. And because it's osmotically active and it does not readily cross the cell membrane, the presence of glucose in filtrate leads to excess excretion of water and an increase in the urine volume. So diabetics often report polyuria, so the increased frequency, and polydipsia, which is increased thirst. Um, there's two types of diabetes mellitus. So type 1 is insulin dependent. It's caused by autoimmune destruction of the beta cells of the pancreas, resulting in low or absent insulin production. Uh, type 1 requires reg regular injections of insulin to prevent hyperglycemia and to permit uptake of glucose into cells. Type 2 is non-insulin dependent, and it's the result of receptor level resistance to the effects of insulin. It's, it's partially inherited and partially due to environmental factors like high-carb diets and obesity. Um, 
Yeah, so they only require insulin when their bodies can no longer control their glucose levels. And then somatostatin is an inhibitor of both, of both insulin and glucagon secretion, so high blood glucose and amino acid concentration stimulates it stimulates its secretion. It's also produced by the hypothalamus, where it decreases growth hormone secretion in addition to its effects on insulin and glucagon. And then we'll talk about the gonads. So the testes secrete testosterone in response to stimulation by gonadotropins, LH, and FSH. Testosterone causes sexual differentiation of the male during gestation and promotes the development and maintenance of secondary sex characteristics such as axillary and pubic hair, deepening of the voice, and muscle growth. The ovaries secrete estrogen and progesterone in response to gonadotropins. It's involved in development of the female reproductive system during gestation and promotes the development and maintenance of secondary sex characteristics such as axillary and pubic hair, breast growth, body fat distribution. And these two also govern the menstrual cycle and pregnancy. And then pineal gland is deep within the brain. It secretes the hormone melatonin. Um, it's involved in circadian rhythms. Blood levels of melatonin are at least partially responsible for sensation of sleepiness. And it receives productions directly from the retina, but not involved in vision. It's hypothesized that the pineal gland responds to decreases in light intensity by releasing melatonin. And then there are other organs. So in the gastrointestinal tract, endocrine tissue may be found in both the stomach and intestine. So secretin, gastrin, cholecystokinin. Um, the kidneys play a role in water balance, so ADH increases water permeability in the collecting duct, and the renin angiotensin aldosterone system increases sodium and water reabsorption in the distal convoluted tubule and collecting duct. The kidneys also produce erythropoietin, which simulates bone marrow to increase production of erythrocytes, or red blood cells. It's secreted in response to low oxygen levels in the blood, and the heart releases atrial natriuretic peptide to help regulate salt and water balance. And when cells in the atria are stressed from excess blood volume, they release ANP, and this hormone promotes excretion of sodium and therefore increases urine volume. This effect is functionally antagonistic to aldosterone because it lowers blood volume and pressure and has no effect on blood osmolarity. And the thymus is above, is behind the sternum, and it releases thymosin, which is important for proper T-cell development and differentiation. The thymus atrophies by adulthood, and thymosin levels drop. And... Yeah, there's a big, nice table of hormones and their actions that I won't really, I don't have time to go over, so I'm just going to get into our concept summary because it's quite lengthy. Oh my goodness, yeah. Okay, so endocrine signaling involves the secretion of hormones directly into the bloodstream. The hormones travel to distant target tissues where they bind to receptors and induce a charge, a change in gene expression or cell function. Peptide hormones are composed of amino acids and they're derived from larger precursor proteins that are cleaved during post-translational modification. Peptide hormones are polar. They can't pass through plasma membrane. They bind to extracellular receptors where they trigger the transmission of a second messenger. And each step of the signaling cascade can induce amplification of the signal. Peptide hormones exert effects that have rapid onset but are short-lived. The hormones are water-soluble, so they travel freely in the bloodstream and don't require a special carrier. Steroid hormones are derived from cholesterol. They are minimally polar and can pass through the plasma membrane. These bind to and promote a conformational change in cytosolic or intranuclear receptors, so the hormone receptor complex binds to DNA, altering transcription of a particular gene. They exert effects that have slow onset but long-lived, and they're lipid-soluble, so they can't dissolve in the bloodstream, and they have to be carried by specific proteins. And then amino acid derivative hormones are modified amino acids. Their chemistry has more features with peptide hormones and some with steroid. And common examples are epinephrine, norepinephrine, triiodothyronine, and thyroxine. And hormones can be classified by their target tissues, so direct ones have major effects on non-endocrine tissues, and tropic hormones have major effects on other endocrine tissues. The hypothalamus is the bridge between the nervous and endocrine system, so the release of hormones from the hypothalamus is mediated by a number of factors, including projections from other parts of the brain, chemo and baroreceptors in the blood vessels, and negative feedback from other hormones. In negative feedback, the final hormone of a pathway inhibits hormones earlier in the pathway, maintaining homeostasis. The hypothalamus stimulates the anterior pituitary gland through paracrine release of hormones into the hypophyseal portal system, which directly connects the two organs. GnRH promotes release of follicle 
GNRH promotes release of FSH and LH, GHRH promotes the release of GH, TRH promotes the release of TSH, and CRF promotes the release of ACTH, and PIF or dopamine inhibits release of prolactin. Interactions with the posterior pituitary occur via axons of nerves uh, protected by the hypothalamus, so ADH or vasopressin and oxytocin are synthesized in the hypothalamus, and then they travel down these axons to the posterior pituitary where they're released into the bloodstream. The anterior pituitary releases hormones in response to stimulation from the hypothalamus, so four of these FSH, LH, ACTH, and TSH are tropic, and prolactin, endorphins, and growth hormone are direct. FSH promotes development of ovarian follicles in females and spermatogenesis in males. LH uh, promotes ovulation in females and testosterone production in males. ACTH promotes synthesis and release of glucocorticoids from the adrenal cortex. TSH promotes synthesis and release of triiodothyronine and thyroxine from the thyroid. Prolactin promotes milk production. Endorphins decrease perception of pain and can produce euphoria. And GH promotes growth of bone and muscle and shunts glucose to these tissues and raises blood glucose concentrations. Oh, sorry. Posterior pituitary releases two hormones, so ADH or vasopressin is secreted in response to low blood volume or increased blood osmolarity and increases reabsorption of water in the collecting duct of the nephron, increasing blood volume and decreasing blood osmolarity. And oxytocin is secreted during childbirth and promotes uterine contractions. It promotes milk ejection and may be involved in bonding behavior and is unusual that it has a positive feedback loop. The thyroid is at the base of the neck in front of the trachea. It produces three key hormones, so T3 and T4. Um, they're produced by follicular cells and contain iodine. They increase basal metabolic rate and alter utilization of glucose and fatty acids. Thyroid hormones are required for proper neurological and physical development in kids. And calcitonin is produced by parafollicular or C cells. It decreases plasma calcium concentration by promoting calcium exc excretion in the kidneys, decreasing calcium absorption in the gut, and promoting calcium storage in bone. Parathyroid glands release parathyroid hormone, which increases blood calcium concentration. It decreases excretion of calcium by the kidneys, increases bone resorption directly to increase blood calcium concentration. It activates vitamin D, which is necessary for calcium and phosphate absorption, and it promotes resorption of phosphate from bone and reduces reabsorption of phosphate in the kidney. But vitamin D promotes absorption of phosphate from the gut, and these two effects on phosphate concentration somewhat cancel each other out. The adrenal cortex has three classes, so glucocortical glucocorticoids like cortisol and cortisone increase blood glucose concentration, reduce protein synthesis, inhibit the immune system, and participate in the stress response. Glucocorticoid release is stimulated by ACTH. Mineral corticoids such as aldosterone promote sodium reabsorption in the distal convoluted tubule and collecting duct, so they increase water reabsorption. Aldosterone also increases potassium and hydrogen ion excretion, and aldosterone activity is regulated by the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system and not ACTH. And cortical sex hormones include androgen like testosterone and estrogens in both males and females. The adrenal medulla is derived from the nervous system and secretes catecholamines into the bloodstream, including epinephrine and norepinephrine, which are involved in the fight-or-flight sympathetic response. They promote glycogenolysis, increase the basal metabolic rate, increase heart rate, dilate the bronchi, and alter blood flow. The endocrine pancreas produces hormones that regulate glucose homeostasis. Glucagon is produced by alpha cells and raises glu blood glucose levels by stimulating protein and fat degradation, glycogenolysis, and gluconeogenesis. Insulin is produced by beta cells and lowers blood glucose levels by stimulating glucose uptake by cells and promoting anabolic processes like glycogen, fat, and protein synthesis. Somatostatin is produced by um, delta cells and inhibits insulin and glucagon secretion. The gonads produce hormones that are involved in the development and maintenance of reproductive systems and secondary sex characteristics, so testes, testosterone, ovaries, estrogen, and progesterone, pineal gland, melatonin, which helps regulate circadian rhythms, and then other hormones are not primarily considered part of the endocrine system, but they release hormones. So cells in the stomach and intestine produce hormones like secretin, gastrin, and cholecystokinin. 
kidney secrete erythropoietin, which stimulates bone marrow to produce erythrocytes in response to low oxygen levels in the blood, and the atria of the heart secrete atrial natriuretic peptide, which produces which promotes excretion of salt and water in the kidneys in response to stretching of the atria or high blood volume. And finally, thymus with thymosin, which is important for proper T cell development and t- differentiation. Okay, so I will see you all when we talk about the cardiovascular system. Um, These are really dense chapters, so I apologize that they're so long. Bye.